0: So that was, that was my kind of corny way of introducing our topic today, which is renewed expectations. Uh, Tim, last week we were talking about change and change is so important for us to be thinking about right now and, and pondering and recognizing we are in a season of change. As we look at Nehemiah, we can see how they too were in a season of change and they did the things that they needed to do to be able to posture themselves to move forward with that change, but as we'll see, they maybe didn't quite do everything that they should have. It's important for us to understand what our expectations are, isn't it? Now, expectation is a a big word though, so it's a word that we would use all the time, we don't always think about what, what does this actually mean? So, because not every one of us is always using the big word expectation, what do we think that expectation means? How could we define that in a really easy way? Can anyone think of it? Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll say this. So if hope is maybe similar, but it's a little different, right? So when I think about hope, I'm thinking, I really want something to happen, and I'm putting trust in someone or something that it's gonna happen. So I hope, I hope that I'll make it in time for dinner, or something, I don't know, right? But what, so what would you think of with expectation? Expectation is similar to hope, but it's a little bit different. Maybe what's the difference between the two? What do you guys think? It's the Anyone? outcome of do of a behavior. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. So I can I can expect that, you know, maybe as an example that if I speed all over the city, eventually I probably will get a ticket. Right? I can I can probably expect that. Might not happen, but the behavior of speeding will have the outcome of Penalty at some point in our lives, right? I can hope that when I pass the photo radar that something goes wrong and I don't get the ticket, but I can probably expect that it'll happen, right? When I was thinking about hope, I was thinking about, or pardon me, when I was thinking about expectation, I was thinking about how if, if we're hoping, if we're like really sure that we're, you know, we're wanting something to happen. Expectation is being sure that it will happen, right? We're really sure that something is going to happen or be true. So, for example, a few days ago, maybe a week ago, I looked and I was like, oh, the Oilers are 5-0. I can hope that this might be a good Stanley Cup year for them, but I probably shouldn't expect it. I can see the glares out in the audience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a fair weather fan. Uh, The weather hasn't been great for the last 15 years. Uh, On the flip side, though, thinking of a positive thing for for us kids. How many of us might get some sort of allowance sometimes? Anyone? Maybe maybe it's like a regular allowance for for doing chores or something like that, right? So we can expect that if our parents have said you'll get x every month or if you do this you'll get that, we can expect that they're not lying to us, right? We can expect that they'll that you know, unless something big happens, they'll give it to us, right? When I give you a gift and I really amp it up and say these are the two best things that I could possibly find for Halloween, you expect maybe not exactly what you got. Follow up to that, when you go into Walmart on October 31st, you expect that there'd be some sort of Halloween candy, but there wasn't. (laughs) Straight up, literally, All Christmas stuff now. I was like, what on earth? (laughs) Anyway, that's enough about me comparing and contrasting those two. But it's really important for us to be thinking about right now another thing with hopes and expectations. I hope that when I press down, it'll lower and it doesn't. Anyway, there we go. That's great. Um, Sorry, I lost my spot there. My point in saying all of this is that it's really important for us to understand what our hopes and expectations actually are, right? If we think that X is gonna happen, but Y is gonna happen, where does that leave us feeling? Maybe like YQ, a little bit confused, like why are you giving me this thing, (laughs) right? Maybe a little discouraged, like oh, I was expecting something more. Maybe even mad sometimes, right? Sometimes I find we hope in something to, you know, so much that we almost are expecting it's gonna happen. You know, that's another way of looking at it as well. And as we look at our passage here today, we can definitely see how this is true for Nehemiah. Now, before I get too far ahead of myself, Leland, let's throw up the big idea there again. This is our big idea from last week for the kids. Uh, And we don't have to read it out loud again, but I want you to take a look at that. We can trust God will lead us to make it through change. But in change, a lot of times we have certain hopes and expectations that we put that might not be exactly how God is going to lead us through that change. So at the end of Nehemiah, well, actually, sorry, we're going to read, we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 6 to 18 together here. It just gives us a little bit of a snapshot uh, of, of where they were at here, where Nehemiah was at at the end of of our book here, and it seems like it's a bit of a discouraging note, but uh, but we'll see how it it really shares wisdom and hope for us as well. So uh, Nehemiah 13, starting in verse six, it says this, and I'm reading from the NIV. But while all of this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil things Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. When uh, when Nehemiah says, well, all this is happening, he's referencing something with Eliashib and Tobiah. That's why he brings it up here again. Verse 8 says, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then put... Uh, put into them the equipment of the house of God with the green offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back into their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Pediah in charge of the storerooms made of Han- uh, and made Hanan son of Zakur, son of Mattaniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distrusting the supplies, uh, distributing pardon me, the supplies to their fellow Levites. Verse 14, remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have done so faithfully for the house of my God and its services. Verse 15, in those days I saw people in Judah treading wine uh, wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all of this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned the people against selling food on that day, verse 16. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Pardon me, two more verses. Verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all of this calamity on us and on the city. Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Now I really want us to think of keep verses 17 and 18 in our mind here a little bit, because we'll see those here in a little bit. Now I should also set good expectation here. It's going to be a shorter message because, like I said, we're going to have a little bit of Q and A with Gary and Jenny here in a bit. But this really sets up what we're going to be talking about with them. So back to last week, what Pastor Tim had been sharing about what we were reading in Nehemiah 11 and 12. Uh, We read what seems to be spiritual renewal. In many ways, we can assume that indeed it was. But then Nehemiah goes back on a little business trip to King Artaxerxes in the next chapter. Uh, Pardon me, and then in the next chapter, he comes back. And everything seems to have gone wrong. The temple is being neglected. The people are working on the Sabbath. And overall, they aren't fulfilling the covenant vows that at least how we're reading it, just, they just committed to. I don't know exactly how long Nehemiah was gone on this trip. We can assume that it was more than a few days, but uh, it doesn't exactly say. Uh, and in whatever that period of time was, things just didn't, it didn't stick, I guess you could say. Uh, early on in this book, uh, we see Nehemiah and the people filled with hope. We're filled with hope, but then it ends in disappointment and tension. It starts like we're going to see a really good leadership manual, and oftentimes there's principles that can be used as a great leadership principles. It looks like we see great leadership from Nehemiah, but then he comes back and he's angry. And it's easy to look at verse 13, or chapter 13 and see, oh, he's reinstituting everything. And in part, that's true. But the way that he does it is not something that we would really look at as admirable. If you look at verse 25, he's going around pulling out hair and beating people up. And I don't think we want to model that. Please do not model that in your lives. <laughs> it's not good. And so it leaves us with this question of what went wrong? Now a few weeks ago when I preached, more like four or five weeks ago, I talked about the hopes of Israel returning from exile. We know that as the covenant people of God, they trusted that the prophecies uh, that they'd heard uh, saying that God would free Israel from foreign powers, they trusted this would be true. They trusted that he would restore the nation, that he would begin a new covenant under the kingdom of God and that they would be at the center of that. They also believed that the exile was due to their unfaithfulness to God. And we see that in verses 17 and 18 there. We see that Nehemiah is like, don't you remember the reason that this all happened is because we were doing these things or not doing these things, that we were desecrating the Sabbath, that we weren't honoring the temple and all of these things. I think what we're really seeing here in chapter 13 is Nehemiah's hopes and expectations being dashed and discouraged. He would have expected that the people would have remained faithful to the, to the law because of what I just said, right? They knew their history. They knew that this had happened before, that God had exiled them. And so when they came back, Nehemiah was hoping, dare I say, expected that people would have learned from the past mistakes of, of their nation. But even more than that, Nehemiah hoped that this would be the beginning of the second covenant in some sort of way. He probably didn't exactly know how. Clearly, he didn't know exactly how. But he was hoping, he was expecting that this would be the beginning. Do we rebuild the temple? Yes, check. Okay, we got the wall rebuilt? Check. Perfect. We got the law restored? Check. And then it doesn't happen. Now, I have a quote here, and I'd missed it, and I really want us to read it. I was reading, uh, it was Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. He had a blog that he wrote, and he wrote it. It was, it was not just about Nehemiah. He was talking about Nehemiah and Zerubbabel and Ezra, all as leaders as we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. But of all three of them, he said this, they are full of passion and love for God and do everything in their power to lead the Israelites into a new generation of devotion to their God, and it doesn't work. That sums it up, sadly, perfectly. And this is what we can be learning from this now, right? We can be learning that sometimes we're convinced that something is gonna happen and we might be missing the big picture, maybe. Sometimes, despite our human le- efforts, we let no- one another down and, and, and our, our expectations are dashed because of that. And so as discouraging as this might be, we know that this isn't the end of the story. So when we think about Nehemiah, when we think about Scripture, we know that God has something far bigger planned than just restoring the temple, restoring the wall, and restoring the nation of Israel as they were. God wants them to be even more, to be the way that the entire world would be saved, as we know, through Jesus. And so God had something more planned, so we can see this as part of that story arc, and that can be encouraging for us. But we also can learn something a little bit more from it, too, in terms of how we can be operating with our hopes and expectations through this. One of the commentaries I read uh, wrote it this way. Uh, said, The zeal of Nehemiah ultimately falls short, as did Saul of Tarsus and everyone else who thinks that building the kingdom of God is accomplished through our own power, aptitudes, or unhealthy focus on ritual. Now, that's not to say that those things are bad. That's not what they're saying at all. Rebuilding the walls, if you look at that as a metaphor for so many things that they're talking about, rebuilding the walls is often important in good work, right? But we can't expect it to renew our hearts. And that's really why we paired this idea of rebuilding with renewing. Rebuilding is so important. We can't neglect that work. It's so important. But that alone isn't gonna save us. That isn't gonna uh, build our church to greater and bigger heights. God isn't gonna be pleased just with us doing outward work, so we can't ignore or neglect those. God wants to renew our hearts. He wants to renew our church. And we need to focus on those things as well and surrender those things. And so a renewed part, heart, pardon me, can only come through the power of Jesus, pardon me, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit as we surrender our lives. Sometimes our hopes and expectations of one another are unrealistic. Sometimes they end in disappointment. But let's root our hope in Christ and surrender our expectations to the plans he's laid out. That's true for us in general, but even more specifically for this next season that we're going through, right? We're entering into a season where it's so important for us to be aware of our hopes and expectations. Should we have any at all? Absolutely, yes. There is good reason to be excited in this time. But it's also easy for our hopes to be unrealistic. It's easy for our hopes to morph into expectations. Should we have any, like I said, should we have any expectations? Yes, I was talking to Ryan earlier this week, and we were just simply saying we can expect that having more staff hours means that we'll be able to get more done that makes sense right that's it that's an expectation that it's fair to have will we be able to do everything perfectly right off the bat no because we've got to onboard them we have to get on the same page in terms of vision and direction and all of those things and so generally speaking that's absolutely true but it'll also take a little bit of time right and so we might want gary and jenny to fix everything the way that we are thinking it yeah and number one, they aren't mind readers. Number two, the way that each one of us sees that fixing happening is gonna be different. And so just in a very practical way, even if they could read minds, or even if everyone wrote their expectations down, it all couldn't necessarily be accomplished, right? We also have to remember that we're human, we're imperfect, and there's things that we're gonna try and do that, that I don't wanna say fail, but they won't go the way that we planned them to, right? It might be failure, quote unquote, and I actually don't think failure is bad, but it might come across as failure and there can be discouragement because of that. And that's not easy, that's hard, but I think it's important what we can be seeing from Nehemiah here is that we can keep our hopes and expectations in check and surrendered to God, understanding that yes, he has promises that he's made to us, does he love our church? Yes. Does he promise that he'll be with us and never forsake us? Yes. Has he promised a specific church model that we'll follow that will fix everything? No. And so we can hope for things, we can uh, expect things even, uh, but let's remember to surrender those things to God. And so I want us to just take a minute or two here to talk about this, whether it be as a family or with a couple people around you. And just ask this question, what are your hopes and expectations for this next season? I didn't ask this of, of uh, Ryan and Gary and Jenny. If you guys want during this time, you can engage some of those things. I don't think we'll, uh, we'll talk them out loud right now just uh, for the sake of time. But, uh, but maybe we'll get a chance to talk about those in a little bit. So maybe a minute or two, and this can just act as a really good transition for us as well here. Uh, just talk uh, amongst yourselves and just say, what are some hopes and expectations you might have during this season?